0: It's good to see a lot of people. I feel like I saw a lot of you yesterday. We had a great time at the Antrim Township Park, and uh, man, what a good time to be together! Good food, good fellowship. Is anybody injured from any of the games we played? I mean, you know, we're an older congregation, and we just we can get injured. I I, I can get injured just thinking, you know. And so, hopefully, there's no bocce ball uh, injuries or croquet, you know, pulled hamstrings. But as far as I could tell. I think there was a couple of injuries, yeah, um, but good turnout and a good time, and it wasn't too, too awful hot. It was very pleasant. Thank you, everybody who came, brought stuff. Thank you for those that coordinated that, um, and, and what a good time. So we're glad you're here this morning, and we're certainly glad for those that can join us uh, through, through streaming. We are glad you were with us this morning. Hope you feel Really a part of this worship, even though you can't be with us. So what a great technology. Well, I wanted you to take out your bulletins. I wanted to go over just a few announcements. Uh, Just keep praying for Daniel and Cherish. You know, they are serving up in Spring Creek at Miracle Mountain Ranch, and they have been here several times. In fact, Daniel has preached here several times, so you should be feeling like you know them and have a part in their ministry And then for our ministry of the month, another ministry that you should feel or, you know, have heard much about Young Life. um, We have a lot of folks in our own body here that serve in that ministry. And, you know, they are engaging kids where they are and they are building bridges. And I love what they they talk about in their mission statement about um, building these authentic friendships with these young people so that with the goal of introducing them to Jesus Christ. So be praying for these ministries. And the Young Life is a beautiful segue into our challenge because we want to, we want to build authentic friendships in the community and for, for people that don't know Christ. And a spoiler alert for our ABF this morning. This is our tenth and final video. And um, I think the video for this morning uh, dovetails very well with our challenge. Because we are encouraging you in this challenge to be hospitable toward an unbeliever for the sake of introducing them to Christ. And in this video this morning, uh, Paul Tripp talks about, you know, what's happened to us as believers is in a lot of ways. And think and ask yourself, does this sometimes happen to you? He says, people have quit being people to us, we stop seeing them as eternal beings. And we just see them as functions. We don't see people all around us that we rub elbows with and our neighbors that are lost. We don't see them uh, in the dire consequences that that lay ahead without knowing Christ. And so he reminds us that we carry this message of rescuing grace. And this is what really this theme of worship is all about, is building those bridges with the the lost. Well... um, Just to whet your appetite, i mentioned ABF. This is going to be the last video. That's a 10-video series, and we'll wrap that up today. And then next Sunday is Father's Day, and there's no ABF uh, for next Sunday. But then after that, we will begin our summer ABF series that we're looking forward to, where we will have folks in our own body here sharing testimonies. So we've we've done that in the past. We look forward to that. Um, So hopefully you will make a point to be here for that. At this time, I'm going to ask uh, Emily Kilcup to come forward, and she's ready. Boy, she popped right up. Uh, And she's going to share with us a little bit about the opportunity she is going to have, I think, starting tomorrow, right? Thank you, Emily. Come on up. And then I think you're taking the whole ABF after, too. Is that right? No, no. Uh, Good
1: morning, everyone. I'm sure most of you know me, but for those of you who don't, I'm Emily. And this summer, I've been given the opportunity to share uh, a story about Good News Camps. I know many of you here are probably familiar with the news camp, but for those of you who aren't, it's a five-day camp run by CEF in Waynesboro. Different kids from all over Franklin and Fulton County go to camp to learn about God. I serve a camp as a junior counselor, where I am assigned a group of kids that are grouped together by ages ranging from 6 to 12. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the news camp or what goes on there, I thought I'd show you a typical day at camp and describe my role in that. Every day camp is started at the flagpole where everybody lines up with their group. We get a head count and we take pledges and we pray for our day. And then the kids go to the chapel where they are taught the themes for the day, the verse of the day. They sing lots of songs. And my role in that is I typically help to lead the songs with emotions and I make sure my kids are paying attention. Then they go to the Bible story, which is where our group's teacher tells the kids our Bible story for the day, and during this time, I help the teacher with whatever they may need while they're teaching the lesson, and again, make sure the kids are paying attention. Then we play games with the kids, and I lead my group through games, which are typically played with everybody in the camp, and get to participate for points. Then all the kids go to missions time, which is where they get to hear from a missionary about how they're serving God around the world. Then we go to quiet time, which is where I teach the kids a small devotional, which is typically a more personal way that they can connect to the Bible story from the day. I also get prayer requests, and I teach them the verse, and I use like, motions or songs to help them remember it better. We also like practice questions from the day. This is actually one of my favorite times of the day because I get to actually get to know them better personally. Then the kids go to wet time, which is where they go paddleboarding on the pond, or they can go tubing or crayfishing in the creek, and I'm typically assigned a particular activity to help out with the major sure that runs Next, the kids go to dry time, where the kids do crafts or games, and we go on a tractor ride, which you can see in the picture. Then the kids go to what we call quiz down, which is a competition where a couple of kids in each group get to go up against each other and answer questions from the day. It's really competitive and encourages the kids to work really hard during the day to pay attention. Um, This is, like, some of the free time activities that we do with them. We like to play random games with them. Like on the picture on the left, you can see we're playing a game with some of the kids. And in the top right corner, you can see I'm playing box hockey with one of them. They love doing that. And then in the bottom right, I'm teaching them how to make friendship bracelets, so that's fun for them of the girls. And as you can see, I love spending time with my kids, and I always end up a, um, creating a really special bond with all of them. And the counselors, right in the top right, are all really close as well. We have a really special bond because we all love camp, and we love spending our time there. And it makes the job a lot easier, and we have each other to rely on. This year, I'm joining junior staff, which adds responsibilities of helping to lead crafts and games, and help lead the other helpers there, or anything else behind the scenes that the camp may need me to do. Um, like they said, the first week of camp I actually begins tomorrow, which is when I'll begin working, and I'll continue to do so every week for the rest of the summer. I would highly appreciate your prayers for myself and everybody else who's going to be serving at Good News Camp this summer. I'd like to ask you private things with run smoothly and for strength and health for everybody who's going to be working there so that we can show Christ's love to all the kids. On the back table, I have prayer cards that you're more than welcome to take as a reminder to pray for me. And additionally, since I'm on staff, I am able to raise support, so if you're interested in supporting me, you can address a uh, gift to the address on the bottom of my prayer card in the back, and I also have some pre-addressed envelopes. On the back table as well. If you have any questions, feel free to ask me after
2: the service. Thank you. Thank you. To be praying, to be praying for her as well, <laughs> and uh, as she serves this summer. given Emily this opportunity. Uh, where she's been serving in, in various roles in past summers. Uh, now she has this opportunity to step into a greater responsibility. Lord, thank You for uh, calling her to this, for encouraging her heart through Good News Camp over the years that now prepared her for this opportunity. Lord, may You give her the opportunity to impact the lives of younger children as she uses the um, the joy that You've given her. And that is uh, evident to those that she is uh, working with and loving on uh, week after week. May You give her energy. as uh, Lord, sometimes when we do the same thing week after week throughout the summer, we lose sometimes that energy that those kids just come for. That. So Lord, I pray that You will give her each and every day and each and every week renewed strength and energy as she looks to You. And Lord, I pray for her and the entire staff, that You would just build a bond with them uh, and use them as they relate with one another and relate with these children. Lord, I pray that the, the words that she speaks and the manner in which she loves on these kids would, would just impact lives, that kids would come to know Christ, would be encouraged in the Lord, and that some would be impacted, as, as Emily has, that as they get older, they'll want to serve the God, continue to do this work and we'll thank you for this. We'll thank you for Emily and the work that she's about to do. Uh, may you use her powerfully. And we pray the same place. Amen. All right, I wanted to uh, just mention a couple things. One is that uh, we are, Lord willing, beginning our Nursery and Children's Church next Sunday. And so, first of all, thank you for those of you who are uh, stepping up in and uh, filling those roles. I would encourage you to continue praying uh, if you haven't. And uh, God may be leading you to be part of one of these two vital ministries to our families that we can um, minister to, to them and to others that may, may come into our church with, with young children. Um, also wanted to mention, uh, Larry had mentioned that, Daniel uh, and Cherish uh, are missionaries this month. Actually, they're going to be with us on July 4th. And so they're going to be sharing during ABS a little about their ministry. And uh, so we'll take a break from testimonies that Sunday, and they'll be sharing with us. And also, Young Life, uh, Eric uh, Burt will be preaching for me in July. In July, as I'll be on vacation then. And so uh, he'll be able to become as a representative of Young Life. So both of those ministries we're, we're praying for this, this month will be uh, represented this summer. Well, I wanted to, wanted to uh, tell you what we're going to be doing on Sunday night throughout the summer. Not Starting not next Sunday, but the following Sunday, the 27th. We're going to be having a time of prayer each Sunday night at 6.30 here in the sanctuary. And uh, this is going to be a, a God-focused, worship-based time of prayer. What I mean by that is rather than coming and then sharing all prayer requests and then praying, we're going to first start with who God is. We're going to focus on a, a characteristic of who He is and get our hearts and our minds focused on the One that we're praying to. The One we're looking to to uh, with the needs that we have. And we want to worship Him in light of who He is. And then if we lay our request, we want to do that in a way that is Scripture-driven and spirit We want to, The Holy Spirit works in constant with the Word of God. So we want to use the Word direct the way in which we pray for the things that are on our heart. The people. The needs that we have. The, the community needs. The, the needs in our country. The needs for our mission. We want to lay that before the Lord. We want to let the Word of God direct the way that we pray. Because when we pray according to God's Word, we are praying according to God's will. And so we want to gather together and, and, and worship God for who He is and then lay our requests and light the the Word of God, and be led by the Spirit. So I want to invite you, starting on June 27th, each Sunday night, 6.30, here in the sanctuary. We're going to pray together. If you don't like praying out loud in a group of people, come anyway. Um, we'll, we'll break into small little groups at times, and you can pray in those little groups. Um, and let me just challenge you, if you are, if you struggle with praying in a group of people, come out and be challenged. Right? Come out and, and, and let God use you to pray for each other. And uh, let let God use His Word to direct our prayers and to to build our community and our prayers for the people, each other, and for, uh, again, needs in our community, needs in our world. Certainly, we all know we have needs. And this world has great needs. The missionaries have needs for prayer. And so, we want to come and we want to lay before the Lord uh, the concerns of our heart. God... Truly loves to hear the prayers of His people. He truly loves to answer the prayers of His people that are prayed in, in accord with His Word. And so we want to come and do that. So really, want to please you to come out Almost done. I promise.
0: One announcement I forgot to mention, um, there was an invitation several weeks ago for a bike ride today. Uh, Ron Taylor is heading that up, and right now it's still on. For those of you that are interested in doing that, but as you know, the weather, we're not sure what's going to happen, but right now it's still on, and Ron, I guess you would be explaining that by ear. So if you have any questions and you want to go on that, uh, see Ron. At 2 o'clock, the plan was to meet here and head up to shipping first. So. Well, as we begin to talk about our theme of worship, I wanted to invite everybody in here an exercise with me, and it, you can do it right from your seat, and I do ask that you would participate in it, um, but I'd like for you to think back uh, to a very fond memory that you have as a child. I'll give you a few minutes, maybe 10, 15, Just stand here and look at you awkwardly. Everybody have a fond memory from your childhood? I'll share what popped in my head. Um, maybe because of the season we're in and the grass growing, I thought about um, mowing the lawn with my dad. We didn't have a really big lawn, but we had a couple of mowers. And in the summer, we'd get out and we'd both mow. And then we would meet in the backyard when the, and the lawn was done. And we'd, we had a big shade tree. And we'd sit under the, the tree in, in lawn chairs. And just, he'd, he loved Pepsi. And we'd get a big glass of Pepsi. And we'd sit out there and talk. And then every once in a while, if it was around lunchtime, he'd say, uh, I'll buy if you fly. And what he basically meant was if I would jump the fence and run all the way to Hardy's, he would buy his hamburgers, and I would run them back. And uh, that just popped in my head. So um, I'm sure as you think back in your childhood, there's something. It could be a smell. It could be you know going to your grandma's house or something. But what you have just done is you have reminisced, right? And reminiscing is really to, to indulge yourself in enjoyable recollection of events that happened in the past. Is there a spiritual aspect of that? Because that's our theme of worship this morning, and I would tell you that I believe it is. Um, our psalm this morning, 77, Psalm 77, step starts off with a lot of questions that maybe you have asked of the Lord Um some of the phrases, and I won't read this because Rick is going to do that when we are about to enter into our praise and worship time, but Asaph is basically asking if God has forgotten them, if he's rejected them, if he's going to ever be compassionate again to to his people. Um, Have his promises come to an end? And I think that all of us could say we've asked God these questions. We've had those nights where our eyes wouldn't shut. We've stretched out our hand to heaven. We've wept. We thought we were in a struggle that would never end. We felt lonely. We felt isolated. I I think everybody here, that's part of really the human experience. And so we could all relate to that. But then in verse 11, Asaph turns his attention for the next verses to do something that I think God would have us all to do. He's going to remember, he's going to meditate, and he's going to muse. And yeah, I had to look up the word muse. Muse is really to be absorbed in thought. And I, I know that a lot of us as believers, uh, I, you know, have you ever... There's a lot, of, I think, people that get freaked out by the word meditate. And I think the reason is because society has kind of given meditation such a bad name because when they think of meditation, they think about that disengaging yourself and going radio silent and disconnecting from the body and having this transcendental experience. And that is not what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about meditation. Um It's talking about bringing to memory the things of God, meditating on His Word, meditating on His goodness. I wanted to read a few verses about that and just to show that God wants us to reminisce about who He is and His goodness. In Deuteronomy, Then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Just on the beside, when Asaph in this psalm remembers and muses about the Lord, that's what he remembers about. He remembers the deliverance of the Israelites from the land of Egypt. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Here's the last verse I want to share with you. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So this morning I want to encourage you to reminisce about your journey with the Lord. Think about how He saved you. Think about the faithfulness He has showed you in life. Think about the trueness and the accuracy of His Word. And I would invite you to do this regularly. I would invite you to disconnect from the world, to leave your cell phone, your watch, any distraction and get alone with the Lord and reminisce on just His goodness and His Word. Um, So a good reminder from Psalm 77, we're going to read that together here in a few minutes. Let's pray together before we, we sing unto the Lord. Father God, you are great and if there is worth if there's anything in this world that is worthy of bringing back the memory and chewing on and regurgitating Lord and going over and over in our mind, it's your word and it's your goodness to us. Lord may we recall your faithfulness. I pray that the trials of today, Uh, The things that scare us in the future would not rob us of the joy. As we look back and we think about how you saved us, Lord God, and how you have a future for us. Um, Lord, may we each recall some struggle or heartache or tribulation or whatever we want to call it that we have been in. And we called out to you, Lord God, and we saw how you worked in that. We give you praise and honor. Thank you for this morning. I do pray that this service would be honorable and pleasing to you and all that we do. Um, Lord, we just lay the rest of our time before you. Um, we're excited about digging into your word in this expedition of the Old Testament. We're excited to hear about a kinsman redeemer in this wonderful book of Ruth, Lord. Help us to be attentive. Um Help us to be changed, Lord God. Thank you for each person here this morning, whether they are sitting here in this building or they have joined us uh, through this streaming. Lord God, just thank you for everyone that is with us today. Lord, we invite you to our time together. Thank you again in Jesus' name. If you would please go ahead and stand with us as we prepare to sing by reading Psalm 77. Go ahead and stand. We'll read Psalm 77 in preparation for our singing. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord, and the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. To hold my eyelids open, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord burn forever and never again be favorable? Has His steadfast love forever ceased? Are His promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this. To the years of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Would you join us as we begin our singing with Look and See?
3: I I'm to lift up your hand, oh Lord. To endless love. I can. I'm yours forever, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah! praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah! death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your very body began to breathe. The silence, the roaring lion, declared the grave, has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me, you have broken every chain, there's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope, hallelujah, Raise the one who set me free, hallelujah. That has lost its grip on me, you have broken every chain, there's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope, Jesus Christ, my living hope, God you are.
2: Open your Bibles to the book of Ruth, chapter 1. Let's pray as we uh, ask God to guide our time. Oh, Father. We've just sung about the Incredible grace of God toward us. But well, we confess to you that we need to be reminded For some of us, we have walked in this grace for so long that we sometimes forget how desperate our place really was. The mountain that we could not climb. The depths of despair that we all found ourselves in. Father, You never stopped loving us. You never gave up on us. You never said, that one has gone too far. Father, we simply want to say thank You. Father, would You cause us to remember the depths of our sin. The chains that have been broken. The freedom that we now have. To cause us to live in that freedom moment by moment moment, day by day, as we entrust ourselves to You. Would You take Your Word today and remind us of Your truth? Would You take Your Word today and challenge us to live in accord with it? For this we want to say. Thank You by faith for what You're going to do Well, we have in our, uh, in our expedition, we've covered now uh, seven books. We're on our eighth book. Genesis, the book of beginnings, where we saw the four key events and the four key individuals. And then we move to Exodus, this book of departure. Where we saw the nation of Israel go from 70 people to over 2 million people, and God, because they were put into bondage in Egypt, God raised up a deliverer. We see the redemption of Israel. God delivered them from bondage through the, the 10 plagues, and then He brought them out into the wilderness at the, at the foot of Mount Sinai. And there he, he gave them the revelation. He gave them directions in worship and He gave them the Ten Commandments. And then you come to then the next book, the book of Leviticus, this book of offerings and feasts. Where God talks about the sacrifice and He gives them these five offerings that remind them that blood has to be shed for the remission of sin. How do we remove sin? It's only through blood sacrifice. And all of this was intended to be a picture of what one day God would do in the fullness of time when He sent His Son, the perfect Lamb of God, whose blood would be shed once for all to take away sin. For you isn't it? And Then the second half of that book talks about the, the uh, uh, sanctification, the feasts that He gave them, which were to be uh, celebrated every year to remind them. To help them to retain fellowship with God. And then we come to the book of Numbers. This time of wilderness wandering. Where Israel, that old generation, was there at the foot of Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. And, and then they got the, the, the tabernacle instructions, built the tabernacle, and God's presence is there. And then God's presence lifts and begins to move them toward the promised land. They come to a place called Kadesh Barnea, the southern portion of of the land of promise, and, and they send the, the the twelve spies in to check out the land, to determine that it was indeed flowing with milk and honey. It was had been prepared by God for them to come in and take the land. But that's not the report they, were, they came back with. Right? They came back saying, "Oh, there's giants in the land. Oh, the the cities are fortified. We can't do this. Let's go back to Egypt." And God said, "Okay, we're gonna." cause you to wander in the wilderness. And so we have those years of wandering because of the failure of the people to believe God. And in that last section, we see a new generation raised up. And that old generation died in the wilderness got raised up a new generation. And He brought them to the brink of the promised land. And He orga- reorganizes them and gets them ready to enter in. And then we come to the book of Deuteronomy. Moses' farewell speech. He gives them the the, the second law or the reiteration of the law. And he does it in three sermons. What God has done for Israel in the first couple chapters where he's reminding them and recounting God's faithfulness. How God worked among them in spite of their disobedience at times. In spite of their unfaithfulness and their lack of trust in God. God was faithful. And then the second sermon, what God expects from them, He reiterates the law to them. And so He's reminding them of the Ten Commandments, the moral law. He's He's uh, reminding them of the social law. How they were to treat one another. Uh, how they were to treat the land He was about to give them. The ceremonial laws and the sacrifices and offerings and feasts and all of that. He's reminding them in the book of Deuteronomy again because it's a new generation. And then He is... Telling them what uh, he will do for them, he's reestablishing covenant with this new generation as they are about to enter into the Promised Land. At the end of this book, Moses transfers leadership to Joshua and gets up on a mountain and he dies. And then we come to the book of Joshua, where Joshua has now taken the mantle of leadership. Prepares the people in the first couple chapters. He actually sends a couple spies in. It's almost the same kind of things that happened with Moses. He sends the spies in to Jericho, and they come back and report the people are fearful. We can do this. This is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. And so they crossed through the Jordan, just as they crossed through the Red Sea. God parted the waters, and the people came in. And the manna stopped, and they began to enjoy the fruits of the land of promise. And then God took them in. It was a time of conquest, divide and conquer the land. And then in the second half, it's divide and settle. They did, they divided up into each, each tribe a portion of the of the inheritance, and then they were to go in and settle in and drive out the remaining a few that were there. And at the end of Joshua, Joshua. He his last. He goes to be with God. And then we come into the next book, the book of Judges, the dark ages of Israel's history. A time when we see that the generation when Joseph lived believed God, walked with God, but then the very next generation did not know God, nor the things that God had done for them. And so they went into idolatry. They couldn't drive out the people. They wouldn't drive out the people. Therefore, God left the people there as a thorn in their flesh. You and so we have here in the book of Judges, we see the sin cycles where we see God is uh, uh, raising up judges because the disobedience of the people. God brought them into bondage. And, and then they cried out to God. And then He raised up a deliverer. And then He gave them rest in that time of a, of a judge. But then as soon as the judge died, He went right back into it again. And this happened throughout all the different uh, tribes of Israel. And then we have, uh, in the last couple chapters, kind of a, a picture, if you will. the spiritual condition of the nation at that time. And there are two stories. Very dark stories of idolatry and immorality. Things that are almost
1: unspeakable
2: went on among the people of God. Only a generation after, God had brought them into the promised land. How easily we forget. And the the quote, the statement that that, kind of demonstrates the the spiritual condition, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Rather than doing what God says, they did what they thought was right, and it got them into incredible trouble. And now we come to the book of Ruth. Ruth is a love story. It's a story that takes place at the same time as the period of the Judges. All that we have seen in the period of Judges is is. Uh, Spiritual darkness and and people not doing what they're supposed to do, only doing what they want to do. And then we have this bright story of of love and redemption the book of Ruth. In that first section, we see Ruth's love revealed. In that she revealed her love to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And then her willingness to bring herself under the authority of Boaz. And in the second half, we see her love is rewarded by Boaz's love for her and then bring her into his family. And then how God rewarded her love. As a foreigner, she got to be part of the lineage of King David. And more importantly, lineage of our Savior Jesus Christ. In that first section, we see the providence of God. We're going to talk a little bit about that further. And then we also see a portrait of redemption in this story. This is a beautiful picture of God's love for us. Well, let's uh, let's now think about what do we learn from the book of Ruth. I'm going to read a few portions along the way. I'm not going to read the whole book. We've got four chapters here. I'm going to read a few portions and then uh, kind of explain. We're going to, since there's only four chapters, we're going to cover the whole book, if you will, and we're going to see three lessons we can learn from this book, this story. That takes place in a very dark time in, in, in Israel's history, and as we said last week or two weeks ago, when we looked at Judges, the book of Judges is so relevant for our culture today. Spiritual darkness we live in as a as a nation. This is a story of hope, a story of redemption, a story that reminds us that we don't have to live in light of the culture. We can live differently, even in the midst of a, a dark culture. So here we are. Ruth chapter 1. Let me read the verse, first five verses, so we kind of see what, how this all started. That came about in the days when the judges governed. There was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. And Beth, Malon and Kilion also died. And the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. And what goes on in the rest of the chapter is basically she finds out that the famine has been lifted. God has visited His people and that famine in Israel has lifted. And so she determines to go back to her home in Israel. And here she is with these two daughters-in-law who are also widows. So she says to them, you need to go back to your your mother's home to your family family and find a husband there and, and and worship your God. Just stay here in the land of Moab. I'm going back to Israel. First, after they both said, no, we're going to go with you. And she said, no. And I'm old. I don't even have a husband. Even if I had a husband, would you wait for me to raise up new sons for you to have as, as husbands? And so, she says, no, you go back. So the first one went back. But Ruth, Ruth says this, verse 15, and she said, this is Naomi, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Run after her, your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me. And worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came about, and, and it came about when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasantness. She says, when it said, Call me Mara, which means bitterness. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned with her, with her Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, to return from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of
0: barley harvest.
2: First lesson we learned: difficult circumstances can either define you or refine you. Difficult circumstances can either define you or refine you. Everyone goes through difficult circumstances. You and I will never will not be spared from these things, in this journey, this side of eternity. The question is, what will those difficult circumstances do to you? You can either choose Bitterness in light of your circumstances, as Naomi did. But she lost her husband. That's a bitter circumstance. She also lost her two sons. This is an unbearable kind of situation. A situation that none of us would wish upon our worst enemies. To have to grieve the loss of a husband and your two sons in a very short period of time. She's obviously gone through some deep waters. Difficult circumstances. But what we see evidence in the text is that she allowed her circumstances to inform her perspective of God. Verse 13, didn't read this before, but at the end of verse 13, she says, the hand of the Lord has gone against me. Verse 20, she says at the end of the verse, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Verse 21, I went out full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has witnessed against me the Almighty has afflicted me? Her perspective of who God is was informed by the circumstances she was living in. I want to read to you from A.W. Tozer's book, *The Knowledge of the Holy*, his very first chapter. A couple of portions of this, he says, "What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion, and man's, and and man's." Spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God Himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is that what he at a given time may say or do, I'm sorry, The most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he is in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. Without doubt, the mightiest thought the mind can entertain is the thought of God. And the weightiest word in any language is its word for God. It says a right conception of God is basic not only to systematic theology, but to the practical Christian living as well. It is to worship what the foundation is to the temple. Where it is inadequate or out of plumb, the whole structure must sooner or later collapse. I believe there is scarcely an error in doctrine or a failure in applying Christian ethics that cannot be traced. Finally, to imperfect and ignoble thought about God. The man who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temple problems for he sees at once that these have to do with matters which at the most cannot concern him for very long. But even if the multiple burdens of time may be lifted from Him, the one mighty single burden of eternity begins to press down upon Him with a weight more crushing than all the woes of the world piled upon one, one upon another. That mighty burden it is his obligation to God. It includes an instant and lifelong duty to love God with every power of mind and soul, to obey Him perfectly, to worship Him acceptably. And when the man's laboring the conscience tells him that he has not done this, but has from childhood been guilty of foul revolt against the majesty in the heavens, the inner pressure of self accusation may become too heavy to bear. The gospel can lift this destroying burden from the mind and give beauty for ashes and a garment of praise to the spirit of heaven. But unless the weight of the burden is felt, the gospel can mean nothing to the man. And until he sees a vision of God high and lifted up, there will be no woe or no burden. Low views of God destroy the Gospel for all who hold them. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of them. How we think about God is the most important thing about a person. Naomi saw God through the difficult circumstances, concluded God must be a God who deals with His people with difficulty. God is a God who afflicts His people. God deals with His people partially. Therefore, I am bitter. She allowed her circumstances to define her. And so she said, don't call me Naomi. Pleasantness. Call me Mara. Bitterness. So that's who I am. You can choose bitterness in light of your circumstances. That's your choice. Or you can be like Ruth. You can choose faithfulness in spite of your circumstances. Ruth also lost a husband. But what we see here is that Ruth chose to allow her circumstances to drive her to God. Naomi encouraged her, go back to your people. Go back to your God." Why would a a woman of God tell somebody else to go after other gods that aren't real gods? Because she was bitter. Because she did not understand who God is. But Ruth allowed the difficulty of her situation to drive her to God. And she said, I'm going to go where you go. Your people will be My people and your God will be My God. God's intention for Ruth in this difficult circumstance was not to destroy her life, but to deliver her. Deliver her from her past. Deliver her from the gods that she had worshipped. To bring her back to Israel so she could know this one true living God. So that she could be brought into a relationship with another godly man who then Eventually, she would be part of the lineage. C.H. Spurgeon said this, Many men owe the grandeur of their lives to their tremendous difficulty. So, difficult circumstances. Either define you or refine you. You can choose bitterness in light of your circumstance. Or you can choose faithfulness in spite of these circumstances. Lesson number two, chapter two. Naomi, verse one, had a kinsman of her husband and is a close relative and a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and leaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. And Boaz, and now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. And Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose woman is this? Referring to Ruth. And the servant in charge, the reapers, answered and said, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. <clears throat> and she said, Please let me glean and gather from after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now, and she has been sitting in the house for a little while. And Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maid. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them, and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. And when you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a poor? Second lesson is this God works through ordinary things to accomplish Extraordinary thing. Gleaning in the field was an ordinary thing. God had established this in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. When he told them, When you get in the land and you and you plant and you reap the harvest, leave the corners of the field. And when, you, when you're, when you're uh, reaping it and, and, and some of the grain and some of the things fall on the ground, don't pick them up. Leave them there. Why? Because there will be aliens. That is, foreigners who live in the land and they don't have a portion in the land. But therefore, they don't have a place to grow crops. So this will be God's welfare system. You, the, the poor, the needy, the widows, the orphans, those who don't have needs can come and glean in the fields and get what they need for their family. But might I say as an aside, God's welfare system does not bless lazy. God's welfare system blesses a willingness to work, but understands and acknowledges there are some who are less fortunate than others and have needs. God provides for the needs of all. He does not reward laziness. Not the a side lesson we can learn from this. But God is working through this ordinary thing. Ruth asked Naomi, can I go and glean? Probably not the first time she asked this. But Naomi probably said no, because it's dangerous for a young woman to be out there in the fields by herself. Because remember the times in which they were living. These were dark times. People were not following God, typically. And so for a young woman to be out in the field by herself without any protection of anyone else, she could get into trouble real quick with some men. So Naomi, Naomi probably held her off as long as she could, but they were probably getting desperate. Okay, go ahead. And it just so happened that she went to the field of Boaz. She didn't know who he was. She didn't know whose field it was. It just so happened that Boaz came from Bethlehem was on that day to, see, to, to come to the field to, to see his servant. And it just so happened that Boaz recognized this young woman that he didn't know and he asked about her. And it just so happened he had already heard about her. Because he goes on in chapter 2 to talk about the fact that he had heard how she had come back with Naomi and how she had taken care of her mother and and how she would be safe. And Boaz heard about that. What a bunch of coincidences. Not likely. Here we see the providence of God. God is working through ordinary people, through ordinary decisions, to do something extraordinary. The providence of God. He is orchestrating things behind the scenes in ways you and I have no idea So why, why did that happen? Maybe we won't know in this time Maybe later on it will be revealed. God is work, working under your service. He works through just the ordinary, everyday things of life, day by day, the decisions we make, the choices that we follow. God is at work. He is provident. He is a providential God, sovereignly ruling and reigning. We see that in this story. We also see the responsibility of man. Naomi had a responsibility to go and glean. She couldn't just sit at home and expect that someone was going to provide for her. That didn't happen back then. Probably shouldn't happen today. But again, that's another thing. She took responsibility and said, let me go and glean. Let me do what I can do. So she went. He found the field. She began there. He asked permission. Boaz, as a as a loving leader, comes and cares for his servants. You can tell by the way he speaks with them and the way they respond that he's kind and generous to them. He's concerned. Who is this young woman in the field? Because typically speaking, this would be just something that would happen in a day, and then the next day she'd be on it. Why would he be concerned about her? Because he's a a man who loves people. And he's looking and saying, what's going on with this woman? What's her story? Probably asking because he might be looking and saying, how can I help this woman? And so, at the rest of the chapter, we see that when he finds out about this, he says to her, hey, listen, you stay in this field. I'm going to take care of you. And you thirsty? You drink with my servants. And then He gives her a whole bunch of more grain than what she has gathered. And she takes it back to her mother-in-law far more than anyone would ever glean on her own. He blessed her. So we see the responsibility of man doing his or her part. And God works through that providentially to accomplish extraordinary things. We see an example of Boaz, what it looks like to be a person of authority, the exercise of authority, to care for the people under your authority, not to use them for your benefit, but to care for them, your responsibility to care for those under your authority, in the workplace, in the home, in community, wherever in the church, wherever you are, wherever that opportunity for responsibility is, you have that responsibility before God be loving and caring and compassionate to those under that authority. And when you're under authority, as Ruth was, we are to be respectful of authority. We're not to be entitled, but to be respectful. And to live under that authority in a respectful way. David Jackman, in his commentary, says this about about this section and the providence of God in response to what he He says, There's no judge or prophet or priest involved in these events. In other words, there's nobody of high status necessarily. Nobody that stands out in the Scripture that is, oh, that's the person who's important here. But the hand of God is just as discernible to the eye of faith as if it had been literally visible. And yet the wonder of His providence is that each of the protagonists is able to make his or her choices without there being even the slightest sense of them being mechanized or programmed. In these small details, we see a pale reflection of the greatest of all biblical miracles, the miracle of God's grace. It will always be mystery to you. The work of salvation is all of God's grace, and yet we are called upon to exercise our wills to repent and believe the Gospel. When we enter the narrow gate of Christ's kingdom, we are conscious of a decision of the will by which we turn from sin and trust Christ as an expression of free choice. Yet no sooner have we entered the door than we look back, as it were, and see inscribed over the entrance, you did not choose Me, but I chose you. Just as Jesus said to His disciples. He goes on to say, the blend of divine sovereignty and human responsibility runs throughout all the comparatively insignificant details of our lives as it did through the lives of Boaz and Ruth. It is a conviction we need to see restored running through our contemporary Christianity. Abraham Kalten, who founded the Free University of Amsterdam in 1880 and was later Prime Minister of Holland, affirmed in his inaugural lecture. He said this, There is not an inch in the whole area of human existence of which Christ, the Sovereign of all, does not cry. It is mine. we see the providence of God at work through the ordinary things at work. Through the decisions and choices that we make in responsible living. That God accomplishes extraordinary things. He accomplishes His purpose and will for each of our lives. First lesson. Difficult circumstances can to define you or refine you. Second lesson. God works through ordinary things to accomplish extraordinary things. And thirdly, the story of redemption is a love story. Chapters 3 and 4. We see this. Verse 1, chapter 3. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to, said to Ruth, her, My daughter, I shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman who, whose maid you were, with whose maids you were. Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall come about when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down there, and he'll tell you what you shall do. And she said, all that you say, I will do. So basically, she goes. She waits for him to lie down. She lays at his feet. In the middle of the night, he wakes up and sees this young lady laying at his feet. He's like, who are you? She says, I am Ruth. And she asked him to cover her, which was a symbol of saying, would you be the kinsman redeemer? The kinsman redeemer was a close relative, the closest relative, who would in this case, and there were other responsibilities, but in this case, here you have a widow uh, and, and, uh, and her, her daughter-in-law. She, she comes back and, and she has no way of carrying on the inheritance of the family to carry on the name. And so the closest relative would then marry either the widow or, in this case, the daughter-in-law, which was also a widow in the family, and would have a son to carry on the inheritance, to carry on the legacy of that family, not his own. And so Ruth is inviting Boaz to take that responsibility. And he agrees. But he says, I'm not the closest relative. It's not mine to take. But I will go to that one and I will invite him to take that responsibility. I'll take care of this. You trust me and I will make sure this happens. I will make sure that you are taken care of and your family name continues. And so in chapter 4, he goes and he meets with the closest relative and he sits down and he says, here's the situation. You have the right to, to take this property over and to carry on this legacy. He says, okay. You know, he's thinking, I'll buy the property and I'll just add to my wealth. And then he says, but if you do that, you've got to acquire Ruth, the Moabitesson, and have children and carry on that name for her. And he says, oh, well, I'm not doing that. Because that will jeopardize my family, my son, and what they have. And so he Gives up his right, and Boaz is the next in line. And so Boaz takes the responsibility. He makes the sacrifice. He puts his own family at jeopardy, if you will. And he takes root, as like this one. and they have a son named Obed. Obed is the great, uh, the grandfather to King David. And they, of course, are in the line. Ruth, a foreigner, has been brought into the family. And now, she has the incredible privilege to be part of the lineage of Jesus. The blessing of God upon her life. This story is a love story. This story is a picture of the Gospel. The story of redemption. Boaz represents Christ. The one who took the initiative to bless, Uh, to find out about Ruth. Who is she? Why is she here? And then He blesses her. And He takes the initiative to care for her needs. He takes the initiative to to make sure that, that her and her family are cared for beyond. And He makes the sacrifice. He puts His own needs, His own desires, His own interests aside to redeem her, to make sure she is cared for. This is exactly what Christ has done for us. Sacrifice Himself on our behalf. We can be part of the inheritance of God. Ruth represents us. Poor. Needy. Incapable. In our own effort. In our own ingenuity. In our own resources. To get anywhere. She trusted Boaz. She laid herself at His feet, if you will. She waited for Him to take care of her. And this is what we're called to do. Trust the One who has taken that responsibility. Who has sacrificed Himself on our behalf. We submit to Him. We bring ourselves at His feet. They acknowledge our trust and our obedience to Him. And then we wait. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I come again. I receive you myself. That where I am, you may be also. He's coming back. We wait for that Father. As we entrust ourselves to Him. He has done the work. Well, we've got to do our part in trusting Him. He's inviting us. Will we enter into the love story that is the story of redemption by trusting in the One who loved us more than we could ever love Him in the He lo- demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, He died? Father, this day, I pray. First of all, for that person who may be watching online, who may be here in this room, who says, "I need to, I need that love. I need to know that kind of love—one who would love me enough to sacrifice himself for me." I know I'm not worthy of it. And I know I need it. I want it. God, I pray that today that person would know You're calling them to give themselves over to You. To lay themselves at Your feet. To ask for You to cover them with the blood of Christ. To take care of their desperate Again. Oh Lord, You've made it so simple for us. You've done all the work. Invite us to respond in trust. God, I pray that as your Holy Spirit is bring conviction and bring that need to, to bear in the heart of that person, that Father, right now where they are, that would simply yield their heart to You. Say, Jesus, this is what I need. I haven't been living the way I'm supposed to live. I know that. I need You. I understand in this moment what You've done for me. I trust you. Father, for those of us who have been privileged at another point in time to come to that moment, and we've now have a relationship with You. Lord, would You take these other lessons? Drill them down into our lives. It's very possible, Lord, that there are many of us who have allowed our difficult circumstances to define us. We identify ourselves based upon what we've done in the past or what has done, been done to us in the past or, or what we've been through, what has happened to us. We've allowed our hearts to become either bitter or practice estranged from You. We've taken that identity. And God, that's not who You say we are. Said, well, may You cause the things we've been through, maybe the things we're going through right now, to refine us. Cause us to run to You. To believe You for who You've revealed Yourself to be. A loving and faithful God. <clears throat> who does not delight in affliction. Who disciplines, yes, but for the purpose of restoring. Whose grace is always sufficient. And may we know that You are providentially
3: at work Lord,
2: for the ordinary things of life. As we go about our daily routine that we sometimes think is mundane, boring, and of no value, but Lord, You are at work underneath the surface of even the mundane things, the normal things, average, ordinary things of life, You are at work and we trust You, as we do our, our responsibility faithfully, that You can accomplish extraordinary and for that, we give you that. God, would You perform work that only You can perform in our Things that we can't do ourselves. Let's stand together as we conclude our service. I will sing of my Redeemer. We think about the picture of Boaz the it is of Christ what He's done for us. We we'll sing of His wonderful work. And, and again, as, as always, if you feel compelled this morning, maybe the Lord is moving in your heart and saying you need to come to the altar and talk to God. Um, watershed moment for you. I'd just invite like you to come. And if you're at home, I encourage you to talk to somebody, share, share with somebody if God is speaking to you about something particular, especially if you come, come to know Christ. Uh, let us know. Let somebody else know. Um, get some help to grow in the Lord. And uh, so I invite you to stand. And if you feel compelled, to come to the altar and uh, talk together.
3: Sing, oh, sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love for me. On the cross he suffered from the curse to set me free. Sing, O oh, sing of my Redeemer, with his blood he purchased me cross, He sealed my pardon, he paid the debt, and made me free. I will tell the wondrous story, how my lost was saved to save. In His boundless love and mercy, it around Something we say.
2: You are or who we are. You have told us in your word, we are made in the image of God, recreated in Christ, you are fashioning us into the image of Jesus. We are children of God. And that gives us value, significance, and worth regardless of what we walk through in life. Regardless of what people think of us, say about us, or do to us. We are Yours. And You are at work in the everyday things to accomplish. Things that only You can accomplish. Things to advance Your kingdom, to accomplish Your will, to glorify Your name. We submit to You. We ask that You would be pleased us in our frailty and inadequacy and use us powerfully according to Your plan and purpose until the day You call us to the glory. Now, Father, we give You praise and praise for You are. to Him who is able to do exceeding abundant beyond all that we ask or think, According to the power that works in us, to him be the glory. In the church, in Christ Jesus, to all generations.